From Studio Nowhere, it's time for... Saka USA. Welcome to another edition of Soccer Talk USA. I'm your host, Mark Cedar. This is episode number 295 for the 13th of June, 2011. And got a packed show for you today. We've got uh, lots of Gold Cup stuff. We've got tons of action from MLS this weekend. Uh, got a few different things, some some listener emails and uh, a little movie review. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive right in here and... Uh, Talk about some stuff. So let's begin. Uh, I'll begin with an email that I received. Um, it's actually received it from is from Dario. Uh, received it uh, actually. I guess he sent it a few weeks ago. But he, even when he sent it, he 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 confessed that it was old. So, uh, um, but anyway, he says he says I know this is old news, but how much of an impact is the loss of the Champions League final uh, by RSL to Monterey on the perception of MLS? Uh, do you see this as a step back or step forward? And is RSL Going to be the last team to reach that pinnacle for a while, or do you see any team this year reaching that high in uh, CONCACAF Champions League? Uh, the rash of injuries are starting to pile up, but how much is this a bad luck and coincidence? Uh, rather than the norm, the horror tackles by Mullen and Mondani are regrettable, but is, is this a sign of what the league is or the vestiges of the old guard, like Mullen, Mullen that is going out of style as proper technique is being taught by today's and tomorrow's players? How much of this is ingrained in the current coaching style in MLS, uh, college, local, uh, lower division, etc.? Uh, and is that something that is to be expected of players by today's coaching staff? Uh, finally, how much are you loving the Timbers? Are you excited by the New York uh, versus LA rivalry forming? What grade would you give the current state of MLS talent? So uh, quite a few questions here. I'll try to get through some of these. Uh, uh, as far as the Champions League final... Um, I, I don't think it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's regrettable. It's a bummer. It would have been great uh, to see uh, you know uh, RSL do things. As far as how it affects MLS, I don't think it's you know. Uh, well, I, I should preface my my statement by saying that uh, you know, being within MLS, being in the United States and within MLS, it's hard for me to get a real feel of exactly how MLS is perceived around the world, and, and every place has different things about it. I, I think uh, just like every league, um, you, you kind of become aware of things depending on, on your particular perspective. Let me give you some examples. So uh, somebody in England um, might have a – they might be a fan of a particular player who comes over here to the United States and begins to play. You know, we're talking a you know, smaller kind of player. But they're just really a passionate fan of them, and that they want to follow that player's career as he goes overseas, and so they start following that team and become a fan of that team, and become a fan of that league. And just like us here, we start following various American players as they head overseas, and they're playing for small teams overseas that maybe we normally would not have become, you know, heard of or become fans of. A perfect example would be a team like Fulham. Um, in England that all of a sudden is uh, one of my favorite teams in England because of all the Americans that have played there over the years and, and, and that history there. And so I think, you know, once a player, once a, once a person does that, they have a different perspective of this league because they're following it, paying attention to it, than, say, the average person on the street who just thinks, oh, yeah, 
that American League is probably not very good, you know, and they think Beckham came over here just for the money or whatever, and, and, and they don't really necessarily think it's that competitive. Once they actually see the league and pay attention to it, they have a, perhaps a different perspective. But I don't think something like CONCACAF Champions League uh, final, you know, it, it, it's probably, um, you know, has a bigger issue, say, say, say Mexico versus here, um, you know, in some of the, some of the, the, the countries in, 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 in North and South America, Central America, they might have a little bit of perspective there, but, you know, it's just one year, one tournament, um, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll happen again. Um, I think it's a bigger deal for RSL themselves. I think it's, I think they're, they're finally recovering from that, both that and the, uh, Morales, you know, injury. They're starting to, to kind of play a little bit better and, and recover from that, but I still think they're, I think the Morales injury is actually a bigger deal to, to them than the, than the, than the, than the, than the loss in the final. But I think that loss in the final really did rattle their confidence. I think that was a, a big part of the reason that when they came to Portland, they lost because that was right after that. It was their first game right after that. And I think they were still, still hung over from that. And that helped Portland out. But, um, as far as a team reaching that high in, in Chancakonkef, uh, I think it's going to depend on depth. I think the biggest problem the United, that the MLS has in CONCACAF is we just don't have the depth of most teams around the world in any league. Um, I just think we're one of the, the weakest leagues in terms of our depth. Uh, uh, in MLS, once you get past the first 11, um, you really start to see a drop-off in quality. And it varies, uh, you know, according to some of the, you know, to different teams. There's there's some definitely some, some of the top teams in the league have remarkable talent on the bench. They have pretty heavy benches. Um, some of the some of the teams, like a team like Portland, it's an expansion team. Their benches, you know, are definitely weaker, and and you see a a bigger drop off in talent. But I think that's probably the biggest problem. So I I would think that teams that would do better in Concacaf Champions League would be teams with deeper benches. Teams like L.A. and uh, New York and others that have a deep enough bench that they can play their second strings in those matches. Um, and still be able to advance, and and smaller teams don't have that luxury and, and and struggle. And until MLS really fixes that, I think you know Concacaf Champions League is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be tougher for MLS than it is for say Mexico or, or some of these other countries that have deeper deeper rosters and deeper benches. You know, so uh, rash of injuries. I think it's just coincidence. You know, we just happen to have several right in a row. Every season you've got these. I remember. You know, classic injuries. There's, you know, Kovalenko broke somebody's leg a number of years ago. There was just, there was a, you know, there was, there's, there's been a, there's been a number of, you know, great injuries. Montgomery, the the goalkeeper, I think he was injured. And you know, there's, there's some, some some names popping in my head. Just, you know, some 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 amazing injuries at different times and and uh, um, you know, broken legs and and, and different things and and uh, you know, it, but it, but it just these these ones here are all happening at the same time. I think it's just coincidence. Um, in terms of the, um, the the type of the tackles and the styles and stuff, I, I think I don't think that's an issue at all. I think like Brian Mullen, I, I don't think he's ever had a tackle like that. I mean, he is an aggressive player, and uh, you know, so he's he's that's not like he's never gotten a red card before. But I certainly don't know of him doing a, a horror tackle like that before, and I don't think that's necessarily his. I don't think that's his style, and I've. Followed him pretty closely, and and uh, I, he's one of my favorite players, and 
you know, he is getting on in years. He's he's in his in his last years of of playing, I'm sure, and um, still a very good player. But uh, but I think that makes a difference because you 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 know your playing style changes a little bit as you get older, and um, and maybe you you. Just because your body physically doesn't react the same way, maybe you make some some decisions a little bit differently than you, you know, than you than you would otherwise. I'm not trying to excuse his tackle in any way. I'm just pointing out that, um, you know, there could be some other factors that get into that particular thing. Um, but I think just the fact that we had a bunch of injuries, you know, it, it's just coincidence, you know. And by the way, speaking of that Mullen tackle, a uh, great interview with uh, Zakawani. He was in the booth in the Seattle game and uh, talked about how I think he said it's about seven, just seven weeks away. He's already walking without crutches and, uh, you know, a couple months and then and, and we should see him on the pitch. So that's wonderful news. I, I'm a huge fan of Zakawani and I wish him the best and, uh, Love to see him back there on the pitch and scoring goals, though not against Portland, but against anybody else is fine. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I uh, you know was very pleased to see that, and and uh, frankly, I think you know not not to do middle you know belittle his injury in any way, but to me, a broken leg, a broken bone, seems like a better injury than like you know the ligament damage, like. You know, well, like what I have, the ACL. I think that's far worse than. Uh, I mean, that you're out a year. You know, it's it's really hard to come back in the same season with an ACL tear or something. You know, any kind of ligament damage is just the worst. So to me, you know, you know, I'm sure. It, I mean, it's horrible. It's horrible. Again, I'm not trying to belittle the the injury, but I still think it's you know, to me, you know, it's remarkable that he could have that injury and then still still play some games this season. So, uh, you know, if it had been a, a you know, a knee injury, some kind of ligament damage, you know, he'd be out for the season for sure. So, um, and as far as the Timbers, yes, I'm loving the Timbers. I'm really starting to get into it. I was at the Saturday's game and against Colorado, and it was a blast, a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, it's it's pretty cool. So, uh, you asked about the New York-LA uh, rivalry. Uh, I'm liking it, you know. I think with Angel there, you know, coming from New York and, and just the two teams, kind of the two big spendthrifts in, in, in MLS and the two, two biggest markets, and and uh, I, I think it's great. So, um, current state of MLS talent, a little hard to judge. It, I, I think, uh, well, the biggest thing is what I what I just mentioned earlier is just I think the the depth in MLS is 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 definitely not as high as in some other leagues. Um, I think that uh, overall, I, I think the league is improving. Every year, year in and year out. And one of the things that actually I should probably mention that, that's, that's an interesting thought that I had this weekend was I've been noticing I've been noticing this happening more and more in the last uh, well this season especially, but but it's also something that I've, I've kind of noticed off and on you know the last couple of years. It just seems to be happening more, which is as I report on some of these games. I will mention names of players that I have never heard of. Players that are playing for, you know, they're, they're, they're not a team that I necessarily follow that closely. Um, and, and so I'm, you know, there's a handful of teams that I follow really closely and I'm pretty well aware of the rosters of those teams. Um, but then there's, there's, you know, a team I, I like. You know, I, I follow them. I've been watching. I watch you know as many games as I can every week, but I, I don't necessarily know their roster in and out. And 
you know, all of a sudden they're mentioning this strange player's name and he's scoring a goal or something, and I'm like, who is this guy? Is he a rookie? And then I'm listening to the, to the commentary and they're like, oh yeah, he's from so and so country and he's, you know, he just came over, he's been playing in Spain or, you know, whatever, and it's like, oh, that's interesting. This is like actual foreign talent we've brought here. Some guy I've never heard of. He's actually pretty good. He, you know, has had some good moves. Um, and I think that's really interesting because in the past, it's like if you didn't hear a player's name, you know, some, some new player, guaranteed it was like some college rookie, you know, very, very little experience in games under his belt and probably not very good. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a few years before he, you know, can really contribute. And now what we're finding is, you know, a lot of these teams, they're finding foreigners um, from all around the world that they're bringing over here. And, uh, you know, they're not A-caliber talent, but they're they're pretty good. You know, they're not bad. And they bring some different things to the league that, uh, you know, that, that we have. And, 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 and some of these signings are great. You know, a perfect example would be someone like Luke Rogers for New York, you know. And, uh, and even Hosley for, uh, you know, Whitecaps. You know, who's this Hosley guy? He's, you know, doing some great stuff. I'll talk about him when I talk about the, his game this weekend. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably the interesting thing. I, I did see something recently somebody was talking about MLS being very, you know, should, would fit right in, being very comparable with the champions, uh, championship, uh, league in England. And I think that's probably pretty close. I think, I think we have a few players that would, would be able to play in, in, in the premiership at the top level. Um, but, um, but not that many players, you know, most of our players would, would play very, would fit very well and play very well in the championship. Um, and I, I, and I think that there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a, that's a pretty high level of, of, of play, you know, especially for a league that's only been around for, you know, uh, you know, what is it? Couple, you know, not even, not even, not even, not even 20 years yet, you know. Um, I was just trying to think of we passed a dozen yet. It's been a while since I've done the math, but um what was it, ninety five was the first ninety six was the first season, I guess. So so yeah, fourteen years, something like that. Um so you know, I mean that it, it I I my main thing, like I've said this before, is as long as we're improving every year, I think that's the key. We need to improve every year. So as long as we're doing that, I think we're fine. And I think we are. I think every year uh, the talent's getting better. The league's getting better. The play on the field. I was watching some of the some of the play this weekend and and just thinking, man, I mean, this is getting pretty good. You know, it's getting pretty good. Still not, you know, and and I I think oh here's probably another well, I was gonna say we, we get a little bit more inconsistency than you see um, in say the Premiership. But but then again, I was just thinking, you know, I mean, the Premiership has its inconsistencies too. You know, I mean, especially this past season in England, we had. You know, some strange results where, where top teams, you know, Chelsea and Manchester United and, and, uh, Man City and others that were dropping points, you know, in strange times against lower teams and, and, uh, you know, it, it, it happens the world around. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're playing 60 games a year. It's, it's very hard to, to play at that top level, uh, you know, every single game. But at the same time, I think um, I think there's definitely a bit more inconsistency uh, here here in MLS, but uh, overall I think uh, you know I think the talent is is uh, probably on par. I think I think most of our players would fit in pretty well with the 
in the championship in England, and uh, I think the talent keeps getting better and better, and that's that's the important thing. So, all right. Uh, on another note, uh, sort of some some feedback. It's it was a question somebody sent me about the uh, coming on the, the sackings. You know, the coach sackings, which is basically Chicago and. Uh, uh, the white caps, and here, here's just some comments I wrote back to this person. I just thought I would share them. I was going to do this last week and I forgot, but, um, I, I wrote down, I, I think the coach sackings, especially this early in the season, is, is just hugely awesome for MLS. Uh, I think it's a big sign that fanners, uh, that fans and owners expect results, and that means, you know, pressure on all teams to play better. So no slacking. Because, you know, people are going to get fired. And, and I remember the first, you know, 10 years or so of MLS, you know, some coaches, they could survive a whole year without a win, you know, at least it seemed like that. I mean, they could go, you know, quite a while. And, and the way the league was, was structured, you know, even terrible teams could make the playoffs. And, and, uh, and the way that, you know, all the teams share profit loss, there was little incentive for one team to do better than another. And, you know, now that, you know, a lot of the teams have their own stadiums, you know, teams are making significant profits. I think, you know, wins mean higher profits and exposure, as well as lucrative additional tournaments like Champions League. Uh, also, there's soccer-only soccer, soccer only stadiums with a permanent presence by the team instead of just, you know, an MLS renting the college field for part of the year. Uh, results in kind of like the whole city feeling pride or shame when the team wins or loses. And... Uh, as well as, you know, critical business partnerships within the local community, like local naming rights, shirt sponsors, you know, everyone's under pressure to perform, you know. When you have a local team that's a, you know, local business, a shirt sponsor, and your team sucks, that, that you know, that, that, that business doesn't really want to be associated with that team, you know. So when the team, you know, is performing well... Everybody wants to get on board and be a part of that thing. So you end up with a lot of lot of pressures to play well, and I think that's great. So uh, and, you know now you get a few draws in a row. People start grumbling. You know it's 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 uh, it's not as high pressure as say in England or Spain or Italy or whatever. But we're making progress, and I, I think it's a great thing. So um, I just thought I would I would kind of mention that that uh, you know that's what I felt about the sackings. I don't think I I said it quite that way. Um, uh, in in the past in, in previous podcasts when I mentioned the sacking so I thought I would just point that out that that's kind of how I feel about that so good stuff there so and uh, quick little note just a little movie review mini movie review I just watched a movie this weekend they had a, a free uh, premium channel thing this weekend and I came across this movie and something about it kind of intrigued me it's called it's a uh, it turned out it was actually an Argentinian movie. I didn't know what it was. It was just, I could tell it was foreign, but it didn't actually tell me what it was. But when I was watching the the actual movie, they mentioned Argentina and so some things about it, and I finally figured out it's, it's, it's actually an Argentinian movie. It's really good. It's an amazing movie. It's called The Secret in Their Eyes. It is subtitled because it's in Spanish, but um, really cool movie. It's it's very adult. It's, it's It deals with a, a rape and a murder and uh, I, I really like the way it's done. It's it's uh, basically you've got this. It's this retired guy. He used to work in the court system, and uh, he was basically in love with this woman who's uh, she, at the time she was she was a lawyer, I think. But then she eventually became a judge. And so in the beginning, in the, you know, the modern day, the today version, she's now a judge. It's it's 25 years later, and he's basically retired. He's writing a novel about. A murder case that happened 25 years earlier that kind of impacted all their lives and changed their lives and and uh, so he's looking back and he's basically trying to sort of 
solve some of the questions that this murder mystery, you know, while sort of trying to write it, write it into a novel. And so you deal with all kinds of different things, the relationship between him and this woman, all sorts of things, and it goes back, you know, 25 years in the past. Reminded me a little bit of the girl with the dragon tattoo, um, Stig Larsson, the, the uh, Swedish author, because um, that book is, is kind of similar, dealing with a, a decades-old uh, murder and going back and trying to solve it decades later, and, and that's kind of what this is uh, with flashbacks and things. But it's really well done. The performances are just fantastic, and I I just really liked a lot of things about it. Um, it, uh, but I thought it mentioned it here just in terms of soccer because what I there were two things I liked about the soccer in this was one, the soccer is a key plot point. They actually track down a suspect based on his love of a particular soccer team, racing, and. Uh, and they figure out he's a fan of racing, and so then they, they set up a trap for him at the racing game. And so then there's these highlights, you know, at the racing game where they're actually in the stands. And, and it's, and it's the way they do it, the, the, the camera work and stuff. They have this great flyover, the whole field, the whole stadium, and, and it's this big game against, uh, Huracan, I think it was. And, and, and then they zoom into the stands, and there's our actors that we know in the stands. And it's just really cool. And it's just, it's just very short. It's not, it's certainly not wa- worth Watching the movie just for the soccer scene because it's very brief. But what I liked about it was it was it was key to the plot. It wasn't just oh let's have some characters. You know the movie's set in 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 this country where soccer is a big thing, so let's just have some of the characters go to a soccer game. You know no, it was actually you know a big part of the plot because that was how they you know went to trap this guy. So. It was. I really liked that. I thought that was really a nice touch because uh, other times, you know, a lot of movies they just do stuff like that, and there's no real point to it, you know. But anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. I thought it was pretty cool and uh, very impressed. I've no, I don't think I've ever known any kind of uh, Argentinian film, you know, before. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. So if you like foreign films and. Uh, are interested in that kind of thing, like murder mysteries and, and that type of thing, uh, you might check it out. You know, it's called The Secret in Their Eyes, and uh, I'm sure it's available on Netflix or different things like that, you know. So, well, anyway, enough about that. Let's, uh, we've got a lot to cover this week, so uh, let's talk about the Gold Cup. So we got two Gold Cup matches to talk about, which is, of course, the USA versus Canada is what we'll start with. And uh, early on, you know, a nice speed demo by Simpson up the left for Canada, but, you know, crosses like that are not a threat. He had a horrible cross, but uh, USA get a free kick just outside the box that Dempsey takes well, but the wall deflects it out. That starts some great early pressure by the USA with Canada's, Canada's defending looking a little frantic. That leads to a great strike by Bradley that Bocanegra, Bocanegra can't redirect on frame. Then Altador gets through on the right, and the shot looks like a routine save for the keeper, but somehow the ball slips under him and the USA lead. Uh, they look comfortable and create danger, but DeRoe shows uh, his skill with a shot from above the box that curls just wide of the goal. The U.S. should not have given him time to shoot like that. He'll burn you. Before the end of the half, uh, Agudelo uh, got a shot that the keeper just managed to save. A decent first half of the USA were comfortable, but they should have scored at least one more for their dominance. Canada came out for the second half with a ton of pressure, and the USA looked pressured. But then they start to getting chances, and a uh, really good header opportunity for Altidore, but uh, Canada cleared it out for a corner kick. The ball was cleared off the line on that corner kick, and then Jackson did some impressive work for Canada. But the USA dealt with it pretty well. At the other end, Dempsey had a crazy backheel in mid-hair attempt that would have been a wonder goal, but the defender blocked it. 
then Johnson uh, put in a cross, uh, just wi- shot just wide for Canada. Right after that, uh, just past the hour, as the USA countered, Altidore's cross got across the face of the box and uh, Dem- the face of the goal, across the box, the face of the goal, and Dempsey got to it at the opposite post and redirected it very nicely from a tight angle and while sliding. Uh, excellent. Uh, Canada try to get back with a nice shot uh, by Gerber, Gerba, sorry, but uh, Howard gets a touch uh, on it and it's high. In the 85th, craziness in the U.S. box as Canada should have scored, but we're slow getting the ball off the foot. And Howard made a goal, a good block uh, while down on the ground. But the amazing thing was right after that, as the ball wasn't cleared well enough, Canada put in a rocket volley from the six-yard line that somehow Howard got up and tipped away. So one of the most amazing, uh, best saves I've ever seen. Great double save. Howard's down, blocks it, gets back up, and then makes a stop point-blank volley just a few yards out. And uh, really, really impressive. So... Uh, bottom line, great 2-0 victory, USA over Canada, but uh, Canada easily, easily could have had two goals in this, and uh, I don't think the USA, you know, to me the scoreline, not nearly as good as it looks. And uh, that leads us to Saturday's game, which was USA-Panama. Uh, wow, a disgusting performance for the USA from top to bottom. I was not amused. Uh, from the opener, when Panama should have scored uh, just minutes in and only didn't because of the ineptness of the forward who couldn't get a shot off, to the end, when Panama was still pressuring, pressuring despite the USA's dominance in possession, this was a disaster. Uh, our defense was all over the place. We couldn't win any 50-50 balls, and Panama was awesome at defending as a group and transitioning to dangerous attacking in a split second. I thought Landon had his worst game in ages. He was okay on set pieces, uh, but mediocre in the midfield and didn't seem to have his speed, allowing Panamanian players to outrun him on several occasions. Uh, Jermaine Jones was terrible in midfield. I'm not impressed with him at all. He gave the ball away constantly, gave up fouls at bad times, and his shots were horrendous. Michael Bradley was good, as was Clint Dempsey, but they couldn't do it alone. Altador was there all night, though he didn't have that much to do. Mostly didn't have service. Uh, Agudelo was more involved, and I was impressed uh, for the most part with him. Uh, though he's still young and, you know, really couldn't do anything that actually changed the outcome, but, you know, I did like the work that he put in. Uh, Tim Howard was his usual awesome self. Uh, most of the other players were mediocre to bad. I think the real problem here was one of attitude. The USA came into this match thinking they were superior to Panama and didn't bring their A game. They had uh, some good opportunities early, and it probably seemed like this one would be easy, uh, but their shots were wide. Uh, uh, then Panama pressures with the ball over the back line, and they have numbers in the USA box. Howard makes the initial save, but the rebound falls right in the front of a foot of a Panamanian player, and he manages to touch it into the goal. After that, Dempsey tries with a dipping rocket, but it's at the keeper, who comfortably saves it, and they had a nice header chance by Goodson that was wide. Uh, but still, Panama looked dangerous on several runs and opportunities. Uh, then Reem was fighting off Perez in the box. Perez's touch pushed the ball away right as Reem was trying to clear it. And then Reem kicked Perez instead of the, the ball. There was no ball there. Uh, so Perez goes down, tripped in the box. It's a penalty that no one can argue with. Gomez converts it pretty much right up the middle. And shockingly, the USA is down by two. In the first half, I thought it would be enough. Uh, it would have been enough to motivate the USA to put things into top gear, but no, they don't have a response. Continue to allow Panama time in their box, and with a couple of chances that better teams would have put away. 
the second half starts a bit better with Dempsey looking strong, but Panama are also dangerous with a good shot off of a free kick. Finally, the USA get one via Landon uh, free kick along the side of the box that is double-headed in by Bradley and then Goodson. Uh, that was in the 68th, so you thought there was plenty of time for the USA to get the equalizer and perhaps even win, but that was not to be, though the USA looked much better after the goal with several head chances and a really wonderful chance for just on uh, Christopher uh, Chris Wondolowski, who was yards out in front of an open net, but he somehow skied it. Uh, Bedoya also had a penalty appeal that looked certain at first, but he was booked for diving instead, and replay showed there wasn't much contact, but I think it was his, his, just his feet got tangled, his own feet got tangled up and tripped himself up. Uh, it shouldn't have been a card. I don't think it was a deliberate dive. I think he just, you know, got his feet tippled up. He didn't know who, what, what made him fall. Uh, the best chance for the USA, their best play all match, really, was a wonderful sequence in the 90th with uh, Kleston started the play on the left wing, got it uh, center to Bedoya, who touched it to Wando in the box. He rolled it onto an on-running Bradley, who fired it just wide. Yeah. Uh, it would have been a breathtaking team goal, just all the little touches and bang, 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 you know. But... Um, would, timing would have been spectacular, too, in the 90th. But in stoppage, uh, Altidore's header came back uh, off the back of Dempsey, and then Landon surprisingly shanked the rebound, not getting it anywhere near the target. Um, USA then uh, wasted the rest of stoppage time and lose in Gold Cup group play for the first time ever. Uh, my overall reaction to this match is anger. I am disappointed at the outcome, but furious at the lackadaisical play by the team who didn't seem that bothered by the loss. I wanted passion. I saw only saw that from uh, Tim Howard, maybe Dempsey and Bradley. Uh, the others showed frustration and annoyance, but little pride. Like I said earlier, I think this stems uh, from coming in overconfident and uh, over and underestimating their opponent. When they got behind, they didn't have the right mindset to recover. This could be a good result for the USA. Keep that in mind. Remember in the Confederations Cup when they played terribly and it looked like they were doomed and somehow they fought back in the tournament and ended up in the final where they led Brazil 2-0 at halftime? This slap in the face could lead them to a good long look in the mirror and maybe they'll take these games seriously. While I don't think the Gold Cup is, you know, really that big of a tournament in the grand picture of things, that Mexico is really the only serious competitor, um, in it, uh, you know, that makes it all the more important that the USA win this. If we lose this, we're a joke. We can't even win Gold Cup, you know what I mean? If we do win it, we only do what was expected. So we have to win this with flair and denominate, you know, domination and, you know, outstanding skill. Right now, we're not even close to doing anything like that. Mexico is flying with, I think they have only have two 5-0 wins. And, uh, they look like, you know, we look like it's gonna be a battle to get out of group play. You know, our game with Canada, while it looked good on paper, was far closer than the scoreline indicated, and Canada really should have gotten, you know, at least one goal late that Howard, Tim Howard, Tim Howard robbed them of, but the USA acted as though that, they won that match easily by, you know, 10 nil scoreline or something, and, I don't know. I like Bob Bradley, but I honestly think his job should be on the line for this tournament. Uh, perhaps, you know, not for necessarily, you know, winning the final. I think Mexico is a really powerful, informed team, and if it does end up USA-Mexico, it wouldn't really surprise me if Mexico won. Um, but I think if we don't make it to the final, or if we just lose really terribly in the final, if we lose 5-0 in the final again with our top team, you know, last Gold Cup we did, and it was like, you know, it was, it was you know, college players in it, basically. I mean, to a certain extent. It was our C team. You know, not that. It was embarrassing, but not the end of the world. This time we've got, supposedly, our top number one team. This is the team we would send to the World Cup if the World Cup was happening now. And if we lose, you know, 5-0 to Mexico in that, Bob Bradley's done. I say it right now. You know what I mean? He should be gone. 
And uh, if we don't make it to the, you know, to the final, Barbarella should be done, honestly. With the level of competition that we have here, we should be, you know, we, we should be one of the top teams in this league, in this, in this, in this region. So it's absurd to think that, uh, you know. So anyway, that's how I feel about all that. So um, now we get to play, what is it, Guadalupe on Tuesday, and that game is now huge because we have to win that to get out of the group. And, uh, you know, that's that's... I'm not saying that should be easy, but I think, you know, if we go into the same attitude that we had in this one of, you know, we're such a great team, we're just going to win this, um, you know, it, it could be could be dangerous. And uh, I thought our, our defending was just, you know, so bad that um, if we if we defend like that, you know, any team can score against us. So, anyway. Ah, yes, say what you really think, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> As always, Mark at Soccer Talk USA is my email if you have a, a difference of opinion there. So, all right, let's talk Major League Soccer. So we got a bunch of games to talk about from this week. So we got a few midweek games, but uh, theme kind of is I think the theme for this weekend at least was uh, late goals. Late goals. We'll get into that in a little while. So keep that in mind. Late goals was a big thing in, in MLS this weekend. So uh, midweek game, we had Columbus versus RSL. Almost before the game gets going, RSL take the lead via a strange play off a corner kick where Olave gets in front of his defender and his touch is awkward, but it loops in high and into the corner of the goal out of Hesmer's reach. Uh, the crew try to come back when Gavin hits in a keeper punch out, but his shot is just wide. Then Cunningham has a fantastic chance receiving the ball with only Romando to beat. But he can't bring the ball down correctly, and the opportunity evaporates. Nothing much after that until about the hour mark when Cunningham has an open header off a corner kick that hits the crossbar. But 15 minutes later, Olave trips a player in the box. It's a clear penalty. Mendoza takes it and scores. Uh, we're level in the 76th, uh, but there's controversy as Cunningham was supposed to take it, but the DP, Mendoza, overruled him. So, But I guess it's okay as in the 82nd, uh, Gardner gets space above the D, takes a crack that's wickedly defected by a defender, beats Romando for the lead. RSL tried to come back and nearly did in stoppage time with uh, two great chances off of corner kicks, but the crew take all the points. Columbus 2, RSL 1. And we had an interesting one, uh, Kansas City versus Chicago. This is at the brand-new Livestrong Park, uh, which looks fantastic, though I'm still kind of puzzled as to why it costs $200 million. It's a lot of dough for such a small stadium. But the real question was if the home field would give uh, Sporting Kansas City a chance at a win. Uh, both teams played a lot of useless long ball in the first half, though Kansas City keeper Nielsen did have to make one good save. Missed a lot of this game due to a power outage. Yes, my electricity went off uh, about 20 minutes into this one. Didn't come on until the second half, so uh, really frustrating. But uh, halfway through the second half, when Oduro got, uh, got uh, past the back line, he was 1v1 with Nielsen, who was at the edge of his box. Arduro tried to pop the ball over the keeper, and Nielsen shockingly stuck up his hand and stopped it. Uh, perhaps it was instinctive, but he was a couple yards out of his box, and he knew it was a huge mistake. The ref had no choice but to give him a red card, a nightmare for Kansas City's first game in their new stadium. They have to take off forward Bunbury to bring on the backup keeper, and his first task is facing a free kick, which the fire wastes by driving into the while not even testing the raw keeper, which is pretty dumb. Uh, Kansas City actually get the first opportunity on goal after the red, a nice turn and shoot by Sapong, but wide. With about 10 minutes to go, a costume fan runs onto the field and kicks the ball into the Chicago goal. That's interesting. We don't see much of that in MLS. Uh, when the game finally gets going, Omar Bravo gets the ball into the box, and he has his legs utterly taken out from behind. He was literally flipped onto his back, 
Yet somehow, I have no idea how, the ref doesn't think that's a penalty. Uh, he got some of the ball, but still took out, you know, took out the player with a sliding chance. He literally just flipped him onto it. I mean, most ridiculous, reckless, I just can't even, I'm speechless. Uh, Bravo had to be stretchered off. Um, he, uh, really, he landed really hard on the small of his back, which is horribly painful. He does come back on, though, which is good, but, uh, I still can't believe Kansas City didn't get a penalty on that one. I just mystified. I mean, it's just one of the most, I mean, I just get speechless. Uh, let's see. There was pretty desperate play in the nine minutes of stoppage time. Nine minutes because of all those injuries. Uh, but ten men, uh, Kansas City can't score, and the Fire are uh, happy for a point on the road. A disappointing nil-nil start uh, to Livestrong Park, but at the same time, you know, being with ten men and stuff, Kansas City's probably like, at least we didn't lose. You know, that's pretty good. So, but disappointing for the fans that didn't get to see any goals, you know. And they should have, because there should have been at least been a penalty. But anyway, so that was Kansas City, Chicago, nil now. So then we had New York, uh, New England. New York uh, looked dangerous just 20 seconds in when Luke Rogers goes 1v1, but the shot is just wide. He has a couple more chances in the first 10 minutes. Then uh, New England have a chance off a free kick that ends up with the ball going along the face of an empty goal, but there's no one to put it home. Then just past the half hour, Lekic is brought down in the box, a blatant penalty. Uh, this time it's by Keel, one of the new guys in the back line, and New York's been giving up a ton of penalties lately. Uh, Joseph, uh, Charlie Joseph takes the penalty while it's decent. Sutton saves it. Oh, man, yeah. That's quickly followed by New York attacking at the other end with Henri getting toward the end line, putting the ball toward the back, toward the center. Uh, unfortunately, uh, New England, uh, defender Cochran is back there to block it back into his own goal, and suddenly, New England, instead of being up a goal from the penalty, are actually down a goal. Oh, man. Rodgers could have made it two before the half, but he put his chance wide. Early in the second half, Henri gets uh, in on the left, feints right, cuts back to his left, slots it to the far corner. He did that incredibly casually, um, but New York regained the lead. But five minutes later, New York, uh, New England goes up the left wing and crosses to the other side where Boggs controls it with his thigh and rifles a volley into the goal. They should have equalized when a bad back pass is stolen by Monsali, who's in on goal alone, but he whiffs on the shot, and the ball goes wide. Bellucci had a great opportunity at the other end when a, when a through ball put him 1v1, but Reese makes a great save. Then on Reese sets up Bellucci, he misses a sitter, just yards out in front of an empty net. So, wow, just tons of misses in this one. Score should be something like 5-3. Uh, Reese and Sutton both make important saves. Monsali has a volley on the top of the six-yard line that he hits, o- hits over. Shocking defending, but the finishing is even worse. Late on, uh, New England think they've equalized when Luckich heads it in, but he was offside when the cross was played. Uh, New York managed to hold on, but I'm not sure they deserved it considering their shaky defense. Uh, New England uh, probably deserved a draw, but they did miss a number of chances, including the penalty. So, yeah, it's kind of what they wrote. So, New York 2, New England 1. We had uh, Philly RSL. Philly dominated from the start. Should have had a great goal by Latou, but the ref ruled that Daniel, the cross of the ball, was offside when he wasn't. Big mystery there. But Philly quickly scored for real after that when a ball from the end line was put into the center uh, of the box where Danielle uh, headed it in. So sweet revenge there. Philly didn't let it up, uh, didn't let up either, uh, nearly scoring off a long throw in that uh, was hit off the post. And then Ramondo uh, blocked a top corner blast from Farfan. A moment later in the 28th, Latou hit the crossbar. Things were kind of quiet after that as RSL and RSL waited until about 10 minutes in the second half to turn it on, getting possession in the center circle, feeding a ball up the middle that splits two defenders for Spindola uh, to take towards goal. He goes left by one of the defenders and slots it low past Mondragon, who seemed a little slow getting down for it. And suddenly, RSL have tied things. That was about the uh, only chance that RSL had all game, but they took it. And uh, things outplayed 
uh, played out to a fairly comfortable draw in the end. So Philly won, RSL won. And then we had Portland, Colorado. This is the game I went to Saturday night, and it was a wild game full of chances. Uh, first half, Timbers created some chances but blew them, while Colorado looked extremely dangerous when they attacked, forcing several critical saves out of Timbers' uh, keeper, Troy Perkins, who was huge. Second half was much better for the home team. who kept possession and limited the Rapids to uh, no real serious chances while creating a ton of opportunities for themselves. But the Timbers, Timbers finishing was woeful, as they just couldn't score. They shot high, they shot wide. They got a few on goal, only to see the uh, chances saved by the uh, Rapids keeper, Tim uh, uh, Pickens. Um, basically, Cooper had two terrific ones, a header in the first half and a, and, a, and a foot shot in the second, and Pickens stopped both of those. Uh, it looked for sure that this was going to be a disappointing nil-nil at home for Portland. Uh, when in stoppage time, out of nothing, a free kick was floated in the box, and uh, an open Rapids player put his header on goal. Troy made the save again, but the rebound fell right to a Rapids player who had an open corner of the net in front of him. I thought it was all over, but somehow Troy made another save on that try. Though the bull went, ball went stay for him, he couldn't hold on to it. It slipped out into the crowded box. No one could get it clear, and then Drew Moore blasted in the dramatic late winner for Colorado. Ah. Portland had one more huge chance in the final minute after that, but again, the shot was over the bar. This one by Ryan Poor. That's all she wrote. Uh, disappointing for sure, but strangely, this one did not feel like a defeat at all. Mainly, mostly because the Timbers clearly outpaid, outplayed the defending champs who were on their heels all night. The crowd had a, a great time. The cheering was loud and strong. Spirits were high even after another home loss. If Portland can keep playing like this, they will win games. Uh, it's just frustrating that they can play that well and not score and lose. Uh, interesting comments by uh, Coach John Spencer after the match. He was sent off just before the goal for protesting the free kick uh, that Colorado scored off of. Spencer said that he was upset because the ref was out of shape, wasn't keeping up with the play, calling fouls from you know 30, 50 yards away, and that's why more and more fouls were called as the game went on because he was getting tired. So he thinks the refs need to be held accountable for their calls. Have to explain at a press conference afterwards why they did what they did. And, you know, I can't say I disagree with that. I think that's a great idea. Uh, it'd be really nice to hear from the refs, you know, why they did what they did. So I thought their officiating was, was poor in this one, though really not that much worse than usual, probably. Uh, ultimately, it's not why Portland lost, you know. Um, they, 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 they should have won this one, but they couldn't shoot. So uh, I also like what Timbers owner uh, Merritt Paulson said about this game, that it was the best 1-0 loss he's ever seen. And he's speaking as the owner of the team that lost. So I thought that was pretty impressive. So... Overall, I, you know, I had a ball. It was, it was a fun game, lots of action, end-to-end, you know, chance after chance for both teams. Uh, Colorado, you know, I, I think Perkins had, what, six saves in this. Uh, so Colorado, you know, they did get some chances. Um, you know, probably only two or three of the uh, Perkins saves were of the really spectacular, you know, really important uh, variety. But, um, you know, overall, most of those were in the first half for Colorado. I don't really remember too many or any, any at all in the second half other than the one that went in, you know, and he had he did have two saves there, I guess, so that's probably two of the saves out of the four, but uh, the one that yeah, actually scored in on the scramble. But it's just, you know, it's frustrating the way that, you know, to lose a game in this, in stoppage time like that, you know. But like I said, that's the theme of this uh, of this weekend in MLS was late goals. And uh, so anyway, Portland nil, Colorado won, and uh, I am going to the Colorado game next weekend, so uh, that should be a fun. So, um, sorry, did I say Colorado? The New York game. Uh, New York is coming to Portland next weekend, so I get to go to that one on Sunday. So I'll actually be doing my podcast a day late because I probably won't have time to record the podcast uh, Sunday night when I get home because it'll be pretty late. So 
Anyway, let's talk about some more games. We've got uh, Houston Chivas. A bizarre start to this one is Houston seemed to score just two minutes in, but the ref waves it off. It turned out there was a foul on the keeper. I really didn't see what happened. He went down, but I didn't really see any contact, so it was kind of a strange one. Uh, Boswell's header off the corner kick didn't count because of that. So uh, seconds later, Chivas forced a save out of Tally Hall at the other end, and when they pressure Hunter Freeman, he gives up a half-hearted back pass to his keeper that had no chance of reaching him. I don't know what he was doing. Mon Danny uh, was right there to snatch up the gift ball, run around Hall, slot it in the back of the net for the lead. Um, that's the first time Chivas have ever scored in Houston in five years, from what I understand. Uh, Houston tried to get back, and uh, off another corner kick, they nearly score when a second temp- attempt is crossed in. Cam Weaver's header uh, beats Kennedy, but comes back off the post. But then they do equalize off a free kick that Jeff Cameron heads into the far side. Brad Davison uh, puts up a dribbling, puts on a dribbling expedition, beating several players into the Chiefs box, but his final shot is just blocked out by the frantic defense. After the break, Houston score again off a corner kick when the ball ping-pongs around the box and into the goal. Looks like an own goal. I think it was Lahoud who uh, actually was the got the last touch. Good to see Brian Ching come on for Weaver around the hour mark. He's been struggling with injuries all season, but uh, didn't really have a lot to do in this one. Uh, Chivas have a really good chance to go wide after that, and then uh, Houston's uh, uh, Bruin got a bad ball from the Chief, onto a bad ball from the Chivas defense, uh, but Kennedy made the critical save on his shot. Late on, Chivas do a lot of pressuring, forcing uh, some important saves out of Hall, but Houston hold on for the big win. Houston to Chivas one. And Chivas' uh, long-time standing record of not being able to win in Houston continues. So, but at least they scored a goal this time. Yeah. Uh, D.C., San Jose. San Jose get off to a high-pressure start. Lenhart uh, forcing a terrific tip-over save by me just a minute or so in. That leads to a corner kick and tons of chances by San Jose as D.C. defenders make several frantic blocks and clears. But the home team survived the onslaught, get some possession of their own at the other end, though nothing too dangerous. That gives them confidence, though, and after a wasted chance by Pontius, they come back via a wolf goal that goes through the entire box, reaches Nahar at the other side, and he puts it past Bush for the lead in the 13th. But the lead only lasts one minute as Lenhart beats the offside trap, goes 1v1 against Hamid, gets by him, and then slots it home. Then Lenhart sets up Stevenson for a blast from the top of the D. Hamid saves it! But Lenhart leaps at the opportunity, dinks in the rebound for his second and San Jose lead. For a moment, it looked like San Jose was going to dominate, but then D.C. started to get chances, and in the 34th, Blake Brechschneider gets his first MLS goal with a turn-and-shoot from the top of the box. He beats Bush at his near post. A very nice, amazing goal for a rookie. In the second half, uh, as San Jose put on Simon Dawkins for an injured Stevenson, and seconds later, he has a give-and-go with Lenhart and finishes it from near... Uh, the penalty spot, and San Jose regained their lead. D.C. looked more dangerous after that, but a free kick for San Jose on one side and the box of the box results in a poor-headed clearance by D.C. that San Jose popped back high into the box. Hamid comes out for it, but gets there late, and Lenhart's header drops behind him uh, into an empty net, and away the away team leads by two. Hat trick for Lenhart. Awesome. D.C. bring on Charlie Davis, and they keep possession. Uh, but their chances aren't very threatening with shots all over well the bar. They force Bush to work a lot, but nothing goes in. San Jose win this one in a major way. Wow. No Wondolowski, and they still put in four. Pretty impressive. DC 2, San Jose 4. Mm, wow. 
L.A. Toronto, terrific game. I figured this one should be easy for L.A. who are playing well against Toronto who just suck. And sure enough, it seemed that way as L.A. scored 90 seconds in when Birchall's left wide open on the right for a simple strike to the far corner, his first goal in MLS. L.A. continued to press but don't score another. Beckham gets a yellow, another yellow, his seventh of the season for a sloppy side tackle on Shawnee that uh, injures him. He seems generally, uh, Beckham seems generally uh, apologetic. Uh, Chani does come back on, but he's really limping, and a moment later he goes down and then has to come out for uh, Plata. He just can't stay on. So, In the 40th, a hamstring pull uh, sidelines Jacob Peterson, who comes off for Alan Gordon. So two subs wasted for Toronto 40 minutes into this one. Uh, Toronto do get a few looks on goal and force a nice save at L.A. Keeper to start the second half, but L.A. step it up, and uh, the TFC box is a shooting gallery, though eh, not really that much on target. Then just past the hour, L.A.'s defense switches off, uh, allowing a lofted ball across the box for former Galaxy Alan Gordon to head it in. I could literally see the L.A. defense kind of check up. I'm not sure why they did that. I think maybe they were trying to do an offside trap or something. The keeper didn't come out for the ball either, and he probably should have. Uh, a moment later, Santos has a crack that rifles off the crossbar, and uh, TFC suddenly looked dangerous off some set pieces. Well, L.A., you know, they pressure at times, so the chances really aren't that great until they force a good save out of Fry in the 85th, a nice blast by Ang Hell. Beckham has a free kick that goes right to Fry. Uh, TFC have their own free kick that causes chaos in the L.A. box as keeper Saunders and a teammate clatter in, into each other, but L.A. do manage to get the ball clear. Uh, that's not the case at the other end, though, as TFC's weak clearance falls right to Ang Hell up the center. He blasts in the winner. Seconds into stoppage time. Toronto don't want it to end that way, though. And in the three minutes of stoppage time left, they press forward, create problems in the LA box. With 30 seconds left, they loft a long ball into the edge of the to the edge of the box where it's headed forward, and then across to Alan Gordon, who tags the upper corner of the post for the incredible equalizer. Wow, tremendous volley! Goal of the week, definitely. Well, maybe not. There's some more games we've got to talk about in a minute. Uh, just an amazing goal. TFC uh, have to survive a harmless header that's well wide, and it's a massive point for the Canadians, especially with all the injury problems. Pretty impressive, actually. L.A. 2, Toronto 2. Not a good, not a, not a good game for uh, L.A. They definitely played badly. Uh, Seattle Whitecaps. This is a fun game, too. Uh, Joe Cannon's a busier of the two keepers, as you might expect, but Vancouver... Vancouver do get a good 1v1 chance that's just wide of the goal. But while Seattle have more chances, they really aren't testing Cannon that much. Uh, then the Whitecaps charge in the Seattle box, and Alonso trips a player badly. The ref has no option but to point to the spot. Uh, Eric Hasley faces Keller and chips it right up the middle very cheekily, and the Whitecaps lead a clever feint, really, sending Keller the wrong way. Uh, the impressive uh, Vancouver crowd are mad with joy. Uh, the Sounders continue to press, but their shots and crosses are harmless, while the Whitecaps are comfortable with their counterattacking strategy. Seattle's best chance is the final seconds of the first half as uh, Fushito, uh, Fusito gets through 1v1 up the middle, but he was rattled by the pressure on him and puts his opportunity wide. Second half is more of the same with Seattle getting the ball in the Vancouver box, but nothing's very dangerous. Seattle keep pressing forward, and Vancouver counter with Hasley putting a chance over the bar. It seems inevitable, though, that Seattle will score eventually, and that finally comes in the 80th when a ball is crossed into the six-yard box and only cleared to the foot of Rosales, who, despite having a player draped over him, uh, puts it past a helpless cannon, who had come off his line and then changed his mind and was out of position a little bit. Uh, it was Rosales' first goal this season that energizes the Sounders, who steal possession above the box, and Alonso slots one low and into the corner for the 84th-minute leader. Yes, Seattle takes the lead in the 84th minute. But literally, one minute later, at the other end, a wonder goal from Hasley 
Seattle stupidly cough up the ball in their own box. The Frenchman pops the ball into the air for himself, and then at the edge of the box, facing away from the goal, volleys a shot towards the far post that comes off the woodwork and in. Yeah, it goes over Keller, kind of chips him, hits the back post, and goes in. So, wow. I think I take back my comments about perhaps him being more of a liability than an asset, you know, with all his red cards. But that, I mean, what a goal. I mean, wow. Uh, uh, commentator Christopher Sullivan called it goal of the year. And while that might be a bit premature, uh, that was an incredible shot. And, and deliberate, too. It wasn't just a wild shot that got lucky. He was trying to do that. So uh, the only problem with that equalizer was it was clear in the final minutes that Vancouver were happy with the draw, so they basically sit back while Seattle press. But they do manage to hold on, and it was a terrific match for the fans. Good result for both teams because each team trailed and should feel good about getting a point. So Seattle 2, Whitecaps 2. Columbus versus Chicago. The crew have a great chance early on when Mendoza has a shot that's inches off frame. Fire have a rocket off free kick that's high. Neither team did that much after that. But early in the second half, uh, Nayarko had a great run for Chicago, set up his teammate, but the shot was high. In the 66, it was again the same with Nayarko getting the end line brilliantly and finding Ferrari in the box, but his shot was blocked by Julius James. The fire dominate possession and chances as the crew strangely can hardly get the ball out of their own half. That all pays off in the 90th as Chicago get the ball into the box via Baruch charging through, having Hesmer block his point-blank shot. But the rebound falls right to Nazareth, and who has a tap-in for the winner seconds into stoppage time. Yes, another late goal. Uh, a whiff clearance creates danger for the fire as the crew press for an equalizer, but Chicago do get it clear, survive a wicked cross in the final seconds. Frankie Klopas gets his first win as Chicago head coach. Columbus nil, Chicago won. And then also on Sunday we had the Dallas-Kansas City game. Very surprising, interesting game. Uh, Graham Zuzzi for uh, Kansas City hits a shot off the post, and then Myers tries one from half court on a cheating Hartman, and it was somewhat threatening. But then Kansas City get it wide left, and Zuzzi rockets one into the far corner in the 28th. But minutes later, Breck Shea dribbles through four Kansas City players into the box, calmly slots it past the backup keeper. Remember, Nielsen is out for his red card suspension. Kansas City respond with more pressure, but nothing too dangerous into the final seconds of the first half stoppage time when they force a good save out of Hartman. Uh, that good play continues in the second half as they keep the action in the Dallas box, and four minutes in, off a corner kick, Sapong plays across back from the end line to the middle, and the Frenchman Colleen... Uh, heads it in for his first MLS goal. Again, example of one of those players I've never heard of, but uh, a pretty good player. Um, let's see. Um, then in the 54th, uh, off a, a free kick just outside the center circle. Yes, you heard that right. A free kick just outside of the center circle. I mean, within a, you know, like a yard or two of it. Zuzi hits a missile that beats Hartman. Wow. I mean, obviously Hartman wasn't expecting a strike on goal from such the range. Uh, he thought it was going to be, you know... Uh, you know, basically across to, you know, a lofted ball to, to somebody to head it, you know, from the edge of the box. But uh, I don't think I've ever seen a free kick from that far away go in. Just amazing. Uh, goal of the week this week is going to be tough because you've got Hasley, you've got Alan Gordon, and you've got, you know, Graham Zuzzi's missile from halfway. I, I you know, jeez. Uh, but this game, you know, it still wasn't over. Uh, after, uh, as a moment after the fantastic goal, uh, Stojev, for another player I've never heard of, for Kansas City, who'd been booked in the first half, stupidly trips a Dallas player from behind with no chance on the ball. It was right at the halfway line with no threat and no need. I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, the player was barely moving, you know, was trying to decide where to, where to play the ball upfield and just gets taken out from behind. Uh, Kevin Stott doesn't hesitate to pull in the second yellow, pull out the second yellow and the red, and Kansas City are down to ten men. 
Kansas City seemed to love shooting themselves in the foot this season. You'd think the chances would all be for Dallas after that, but Kansas City actually do. Uh, they get a, a two-on-one in the 67th, but Sapong skies his shot. Uh, Dallas gets a half chance in the KC box after that, but it's easily collected by the keeper. Then in 78th, disaster for Dallas as the back line was seemed to be kind of pushing up as KC drove the ball over them, finding Sasano alone against Hartman, who came out, and Sasano just popped it over him and in, and it's all over. It really never looked uh, never never looked like Dallas or Upperman in this one. Uh, really bizarre. Uh, they do get the ball in the box a few times, but Casey always managed to clear it out. And uh, pretty impressive win by Kansas City. Dallas won. Kansas City four. Yeah. So they can't you know they get a nil nil at home at their new stadium, but then go to go to Dallas and get four. I mean, crazy stuff. So. Whew. But like I said, you know, lots of uh, we got three outstanding goal of the week. I mean, each of those goal of the week could be goal of the year candidates. I mean, um, you know, so the Alan Gordon and the Hasley and the the Graham Zuzzi, uh free kick. I mean, just amazing stuff. Um, and you know, in one weekend we get three great goals like that. So that's crazy. So uh, I think the way the goal of the year works, it's all the goal of the week candidates, right? So that means only one of these will be goal of the week. And then that means only one of these can be possibly in the running for goal of the year. So pretty much, you know, that's pretty bad. Um, two players get gypped, basically. So, and then, you know, all the last-minute goals. we got two, you know, a couple goals in stoppage time for basically Chicago and for uh, Colorado scoring. We've got uh, Whitecaps equalizing in dramatic fashion in the, what was it, 85th or something like that. We've got... Um, um, the latest goal was the 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 tying goal for for uh, Toronto, the Alan Gordon one, tying it up you know late late in the 94th minute I think it was so uh, just crazy stuff so anyway like I said uh, next pod next podcast will be on the uh, on, on on Tuesday because uh, I well I'll probably record it on Monday or something we'll see how it goes but uh, I've got the soccer game uh, on, uh, Sunday for the uh, New York coming to Portland. So that should be fun. So as always, uh, email is mark at soccertalkusa.com if you disagree with anything I've said or just want to say something. And uh, voicemail is area code 206-339-8359 if you want to drop me a line and we'll play back your recorded message in the next show. So see you next week. All right, bye-bye.